The next thing is this, said Aroma. I don't care whether you really like studying or not, but even if you don't, I'd like you at least to pretend that you do when you're with the master or any other gentleman, and not always be making sarcastic remarks about it. If you could only put on an appearance of liking it, you would have less cause to be angry with you, and could even take a bit of pride in you when he was talking to his friends. Look at it from his point of view. Every generation of your family, up to now, have been scholars, and suddenly you come along. Not only do you hate studying, that's already enough to make him feel angry and upset, but on top of that, you have to be forever making rude remarks about it, and not only behind his back, but even when he's there. According to you, anyone who studies and tries to improve himself is a career worm. According to you, the illumination of clear virtue, or whatever it's called, is the only genuine book ever written, and all the rest are forgeries. No wonder the master gets so angry with you. No wonder he's every minute of the day wishing he could lay his hands on you and give you a thrashing. first before heading home because it might be suspicious if they just arrive in a, in a cab at their own front door so they've been mm. off kind of getting up to whatever and so yeah it transpires that Bayou and Aroma arrive back about the same time and what's the first thing that happens uh, Bayou asks for someone to fetch the, the kumis this, uh, the milk drink to give to Aroma uh, <laughs> uh, and so to avoid this um a potential incident uh aroma sort of interjects yeah she thinks quickly and she and she basically makes up a lie about how you know she she didn't like it that much last time and actually gave her a stomach ache and so it's actually a good thing that nanny lee took it upon herself to uh finish the drink yeah and and she would like some she would like some chestnuts instead could he fetch her some of those yeah, which kind of keeps him occupied. Yeah. You know? and, and he's, you know, before too long, he's forgotten. He's not only forgotten what he was angry about, he's forgotten that he's angry at all. Mm-hmm. And I think his peeling the chestnuts is uh, indicative of their kind of 
their hierarchy is sometimes suspended or inverted. Right? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's peculiar on its face, isn't it, for a master to be peeling chestnuts for their servant, but... But it it's kind of consonant with his character, his personality, I think. Yeah, and it's a, a slightly sweet kind of mirroring of something happen that happens earlier in the chapter when, um, when he visits Aroma's family and she chooses various things to feed him including some pine nuts she kind of takes the shells off the pine nuts before feeding them to him uh, and he's returning the, the gesture here yeah okay yeah um and so then Yu asks about the girl in the red dress uh and uh and she and she says well that's my mother's sister's child um and, and Yu kind of indicates you know his interest in various capacities and he also kind of indicates that a sort of a sort of disappointment that she apparently is going to be married uh within the year yeah um i think actually this is just a an interesting opportunity to consider the difference of uh the different meaning of red in Chinese culture of this time compared to, uh, you know, our own kind of culture. You know, wearing a red dress, a red dress in, in like Western or European culture is very much associated with lust and passion and overt sexuality, really, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It gives. It's a very. There's a very different kind of cultural significance to red, and particularly a red dress. Right. Whereas in in the culture of the time in China, this is. Um, it's a lucky color, and it's the color a bride would wear on her wedding day, right? Okay, right. And so I guess the idea is she's wearing it. I wasn't clear whether she would be wearing a lot of red this year, uh, in anticipation of that event. Uh, yeah, I thought so. I thought so. You know, it's it's like a exactly in anticipation of it, which I guess would be in connection with um with luck, but also you know I I wouldn't completely particular particularize this sort of um affair because it's almost as if within this system passion is more thoroughly institutionalized where it's still you know it's still the red of desire it's still the red of youth and of you know the heart and blood and it's more within this kind of um cultural space where the red is also signifying you know a bloodline maybe and uh, it kind of gets back to some of the questions we, we discussed in, in previous episodes about how to deal with um, different sort of social semantic spaces. Um, right, right. It, it is interesting, though. It, it's, we would think about the, like a red dress, you know, that's kind of a, a classic symbol. You know, maybe you go to, uh, you go to a bar or you go to a, a nightclub and maybe there'd be one, you know, iconic object of your uh, attention maybe a beautiful woman in a, in a red dress and that's a common um like literary and artistic trope right? yeah i suppose i would associate it with say tango dancing which is you know like again yeah that's another good a, example right yeah. which is a very like explicitly sexual dance you know or it's a very it's a very passionate you know passionate yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, you know here it's still it still is passion, right? But it's, it seems more um, part of a social system. It's not, 
I, I guess it's not the the red of free love. Mm. It's more. Um, yeah, like you said, it's it's uh, an institutionalized passion. <laughs> it's more like kind of um, subsumed within the greater system, the greater whole, whether it's the the state or the family, or one's um, one's greater lineage. So, Bao Yu casting a, a perhaps lustful eye at Aroma's cousin, uh, unsurprisingly, doesn't provoke a very positive response from her. No, she's she's not pleased to see that. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, but she she def- deflects in a way she says oh i assume you want to make you know make her another servant you know why don't you just why don't you just buy up my whole family while you're at it you know and have them all as servants kind of thing right and maybe she's feeling uh sensitive having he kind of uh invaded her personal space you you can see within the household all, all the like indications of one's relative wealth right for the most part and so it kind of makes sense for this. What happens next is a pretty interesting discussion on the kind of the terms and conditions of her service, right? And so we learn that, um, I don't want to skip ahead, but we learn that she, when they describe the arrangement, it, it almost seems like a kind of indentured servitude. Yeah, it's much closer to, to as you say, indentured servitude than what we would understand as more like kind of chattel slavery Mm -hmm. so it's not so much that she was purchased she ran it's rather that she was her parents gave a were given a deposit upon her entering service and then for them to like buy her out they'd have to return that deposit i see i see correct reading I, i think that sounds right yeah yeah and so that, that that really sounds like a kind of indentured servitude. It is a kind of commodification of people, of, of you know, one's one's livelihood. Oh, but absolutely. Again, I mean, yeah. we have that in, in our own society. It's just more um, abstracted. Uh, uh, you know, in, in this case, uh, it seems like there are maybe at least two different sorts of arrangements. There's a there's an indentured servitude for a defined period, and then there is a kind of lifetime servitude. And it seems that actually, in truth, Aroma Siren is um, she's a lifetime uh, servant or a lifetime slave. But it seems that Bao Yu doesn't know this, and uh, and maybe has mistaken her for 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 someone who's serving just a, a a specific term. Certainly, she uses a kind of degree of ignorance on his part about exactly what her arrangement is with her employment. She uses his ignorance there to, as we've said before, kind of. Um, I guess kind of twist him around her little finger. You, you know, once they've had this this uh, conversation about her cousin in the red dress, Bao Yu discovers that she's to be married and, you know, disappointed he kind of leaves it there. And then she mentions in a deliberately kind of matter-of-fact, perfunctory way, uh, something about going back to her family. And that's the lie, uh, right? Yeah. And this completely catches Bao Yu off guard. He says, you know, what do you mean? when you go back and she says oh well you know of course i'll do this for another year or so uh and then my family will buy out the contract uh and i'll return to them uh and so i won't be your i won't be your maidservant anymore mm-hmm. and this is also an opportunity to, for her to kind of indicate that actually uh my family's doing much better now they're able to afford to buy her out of service 
there's some indication that it's well known that uh, this is kind of going on behind the scenes. It's well known that the Jia uh, family is generous toward servants. So again, I'm, I'm reading from the Hawks here. Um, indeed, the inside maids, those who like aroma, were in personal attendance on members of the family, were the creme de la creme of the household staff, and were even regarded as a cut above the free daughters of poorer households outside. This is reminiscent, again, of Chapter 6, when Liu Laolao mistakes Ping'ar for Shivang. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, she, yeah, she, she mistakes the, the servant for the mistress. Mm-hmm. It's important that, uh, I, I guess, we convey a sense for, uh, yeah, how nebulous social relations can be, even in a, a strictly hierarchical society. Um, and this kind of speaks to a lot of questions people have where like, you know, what, what kind of options were available when you like actually, you know, like enter the world, you get a sense for that. There's often a pretty large divergence between, um, symbolic status and actual status. And and there's this interplay at least, right? So you, you can use like symbolics, you can have symbolic status, but no actual social status, right? That, that could arguably, um, characterizes a lot of uh poor scholars historically and presently for that matter right yeah uh or conversely you can have a lot of social status but a a complete lack of uh, a sense for uh how to manipulate symbols symbolically or in in various um kind of um, arranged settings and in manners of etiquette and so on and so forth uh and it's also a sense in which you can kind of convert one form of status to another you know and so we see a little bit of that going on here where uh it's unclear you know whether shiren would have better opportunities elsewhere even if you know on the face of it she might be more free quote unquote yeah so we learned that basically uh shortly before Baoyu arrived at her home she had just been discussing this with her mother and brother you know, whether or not they might want to buy her out of her contract. And in fact, when she was having that conversation, she was adamant that she would not be bought out. Um, I think there's a sense that she feels a, a, a certain amount of maybe betrayal uh, at having been sold into servitude. Um, or maybe simply that she, that because so much of her youth she has spent away from her family with the jazz instead that she maybe no longer feels that close to them or feels that much need to be back together with them. And, and you know, furthermore, she says that, that the jazz are actually very good to work for because they, the servants enjoy the same kind of standard of living as the, as their masters. Mm. Um, and they don't really, you know, beat or curse their servants. Um, I mean, the, the Chinese, it's, it's quite kind of succinct, so I might quote it. So she says, uh, so you eat and are clothed in the same manner as the masters. Uh, so that's, um, and furthermore, you are not um, beaten at sunrise and cursed at, at sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, yeah, she's, she's saying actually, you know, the, the conditions that she lives in, in, um, in the, uh, um, in the Jia household are, are actually pretty good. Um, 
Um, so so there's this there's this kind of deception that she's pulling, where on the one hand, speaking to her family, she's saying, no, uh, I think actually my life is better being a servant of the household than being a, a, a free member of yours. Um, and honestly, you know, it would be better almost for you to just imagine that I'm dead and then you don't have to worry about this anymore. Uh, but then on the other hand, she's telling Bao Yu, oh yes, my family are thinking of buying up my contract, you know, I'll probably be gone next year or the year after. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I- I- in order to kind of um, extract some concessions from him. <laughs> uh, now, Bao Yu is naturally upset by this um, because, you know, he's clearly very fond of um, Aroma. Um, and he says, you know, well, why on earth would you want to leave? And she says, well, you know, I don't want to just be a servant my whole life. Um, and my family wants me back, you know. Um, and he says, but I won't let you leave. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He reminded me of a sort of a desperate boyfriend trying to uh, to demonstrate that he can change, right? And so he, he's... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's entreating her. I can change. What do you want me to do? Uh, yeah. So she has a set of conditions. That's, right. How do we uh, run through them? Um yeah, I would say the first condition is she's basically saying he's talking with this really exaggerated language, like "please don't leave." You know, you're my, you're my everything. <laughs> That's basically the gist of it. Yeah. And, and her first condition is just stop talking like this, like. Yeah, stop qu- being so kind of boisterous and overblown. Quit doing what you're doing right now, which is a really <laughs> exactly a really exactly. Uh, relatable, very um, genuine. Uh, like conversational artifact yeah so she's like look I, I there are only three things i want from you and he's like even if there were 300 things <laughs> you know even if i was turned into ash or, or a puff of smoke i would i would do what you ask and she's like and that's point number one <laughs> okay. um like that uh-huh. that's exactly what i want you to stop doing <laughs> um then the second thing is yeah probably one of the most important which is to reform himself uh on uh, in relation to uh studying and his attitude towards studying right you know mm-hmm. he has to i guess kind of commit himself to actually studying hard but also to stop to stop talking down stop criticizing and and and, and kind of making light or ridiculing um uh scholars and the scholarly life you uh-huh. know? You know, it's so cynical the way, but so believable the way she frames it. She's basically saying, you know, just fake it. Everyone fakes yeah. it. Just fake it already. Yeah. Quit being such yeah. a... This goes back to the theme of like the the real versus the fake. And she's telling him to grow up, which in her view, realistically, but also kind of unfortunately, right? just involves becoming and just accepting fakeness. This isn't Catcher in the Rye. This is Dream of the Red Chamber, and you got, you got to grow up. Um, yeah. Uh, and actually, the, did you see the term they use for... Uh, there's a really great term. You, you, you can't call everyone... In the Hawks, it's career worm. Uh, yeah. in, in the original, it's uh, Ludu. Yeah. Which, which means specifically uh, someone like seeking after a sinecure um and actually the do yeah. there it's it's specifically a, a kind of insect that uh mm. that worms into uh that eats books 
So, so in a literal sense, in a literal sense, it's a bookworm. It's a bookworm, but it has a completely different significance here, right? One who, yeah, seeks seeks uh, advancement. You know, seeks kind of wealth and 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 opportunity through through study, I suppose. But but uh, you know, he like like Jiayu Tun, for instance, from the uh, from earlier chapters. One one who studies for the sake of advancement and wealth rather than mm -hmm. studying for the love of the the subject you know mm, yeah like a cynical careerist academic basically exactly <laughs> exactly, exactly. and then the third thing is and this is quite funny to me he has to <laughs> he has to stop eating people's lipstick um <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, it's more than that, right? The the comment is, uh, he has to stop <laughs> kind of commenting about people's appearance and interfering with their makeup. But most of all, he must give up that filthy <laughs> habit of stealing people's lipstick and eating it on the slide. <laughs> which, which, admittedly, yes, is behavior like very unbecoming of a of a of a anybody boy of a noble household. Yeah. yeah. And that harkens back to his love of, uh, of of. I guess feminine utensils and objects that his father observed in him early on. Yeah. That uh really began uh his father's path of his his disenchantment with Bao Yu. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of uh, like uh, there's a quality uh in Bao Yu that we might know like in kind of like modern lexicon as like in its broad sense queer you know like he is mm. uh in that like he is his behavior is very far from the the kind of norm you know very f he 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 rejects normativity i suppose mm -hmm. no, heteronormativity uh, we could say it's, it's kind of yeah and kind of ahistorical usage uh, of that term probably but yeah, but but I think it's a kind of good modern parallel. I mean, what do we know mm -hmm. about him? He uh, he seems to be bisexual. He mm -hmm. um, is rather fond of kind of like poking fun and rejecting uh, what is conventional and respectable. Um, he has this kind of poetic flair. He is very fond of um, dressing up well, well, we don't know if he necessarily likes to dress up in women's clothes, but he certainly uh, dresses uh, very well, perhaps slightly flamboyant, flamboyantly, we might say. Uh, and now we know he likes playing with makeup as well. Mm -hmm. um, and and so this is um, <laughs> Aroma trying to say, you know, you need to, you know, you can have all of that, but you need to kind of keep it under wraps. You know, you need to work within the system somehow. Uh-huh. And so my sense here is that she is jockeying for like a concubine position, basically. Right? Yeah, I, I absolutely I see agree. that as her. She she doesn't have the status to be, you know, she's not really a contender for wife. No, I don't think so. She's responsible, right? And she's kind of, she seems trustworthy. Uh, she knows how to control him, right? Which is... Yeah going to be coming handy <laughs> yeah so so just i mean the reason why i think she can't be a wife is because she's of much much lower social status right and and um because marriage is so is about more than just you know love it's it's 
it's a political or yeah it has this kind of wider significance i suppose it's yeah. um it it would really be quite scandalous i suppose for them to marry um but as mm -hmm. you say i think she has an eye on um becoming a uh a concubine but she doesn't come out directly and demand it here right no definitely not right it's it's too kind of too early in the game but uh, you can kind of see it on the horizon i think mm. I, I i suppose what she's aiming to do here kind of indirectly is begin to reform him begin to i guess take a more active hand in kind of shaping him mm -hmm. uh, and then you know once she once he's become perhaps somewhat remade in her you know in accordance with her her instructions then but because you know it's 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 kind of perhaps for for men of his status in this era you'd be married to someone and the purpose of that marriage would be possibly primarily or at least in significant part political you might not really love one another mm -hmm. although i guess it depends and the person that you you know you really love most and care about most but also who you seek counsel from or comfort or or advice from could well be uh, a, a concubine you know someone who because of different social status or, or or many other reasons you're not able to marry but who you still yeah have that that relationship with so i, I want to ask you about there's one kind of interesting detail here before we transition to Baoyu's kind of uh engagement later with Yu. So, so Bao Yu and Shiren are talking until late in the night. And then what happens is the next morning, it seems she's feeling unwell. And so I was wondering, I was wondering if that, uh, if her sudden illness is of like what significance for the plot here. Uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't given it that much thought, but you're right. I, I don't really understand why, what the purpose is here. I don't see why you would mention it if it didn't have some importance. But it seems kind of incongruous. Is she guilty for uh, feeling guilty for deceiving Baoyu? I don't think so, but that, that would be one possible interpretation. Did they did they stay up too late? Uh, she didn't drink the komis. Is that how you pronounce it? She didn't drink the milk uh, beverage, which mm. would explain a possible illness. Is there some indication that maybe they engaged sexually? Uh, yeah. And this had an effect on her health? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I guess it, it's wintertime and it's very easy to catch a chill. Um, yeah. Honestly, I don't know what I don't know what the significance of it is, but it does seem like, yeah, it's a kind of little narrative mm -hmm. turning point, definitely. Unless it's simply a device to get uh, Bao Yu an excuse to go visit Dai Yu. Right, quite because you would yeah. think that you know, otherwise, uh, having made this pledge to her, maybe the next day he would be more inclined to stick around and uh, and to demonstrate his personal virtues. Mm. You know that that, he, that he's working on actively that kind of thing. Um, but no, so she is sick, and he has the opportunity now to visit Dayu. Uh, and this is again maybe their longest interaction yet in the novel. I think it's pretty. It's subtle. It's a very subtle another iconic scene. And so basically, he doesn't want her to sleep. 
he has this idea that, you know, if she's not feeling well, the worst you can do is um, sleeping after a meal, which is another one of these weird, like, why that seems perfectly fine to sleep after a meal. I, if anything, that's a great time to do because you're tired. You're from digesting. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think there's any uh, truth to his, like, it sounds medical speculation? It sounds superficially, <laughs> superficially plausible, doesn't it? Um, you shouldn't sleep after eating for one reason or another. But really, I think it's just an excuse, you know, so mm-hmm. that she doesn't... Because okay. she, she says, you know, go away, I'm having a nap, come back later. Uh, uh-huh. And he says, oh, no, absolutely not. You know, you mustn't nap after eating. Um, and therefore, not only should he not go away, he must stay there to, to keep her awake. And so the scene that follows is somewhat childish, uh, but also charming. Invariably, like, Bao Yu is the least mature like member of any interaction mm. if he's a part of if he's present you know but it, it is and when i was reading this i was wondering the extent to which uh bao yu is cognizant of his own motivations does he fully know that he's in love with Dayu basically or is it is it kind of this like um inchoate sensation that's developing it's a little unclear mm. right so I was kind of curious to see how you interpreted. So the first major kind of um, event, uh, plot point, point of contention, is that you know he wants to share the pillow, basically, which kind of gets back to our theme of uh, boundaries and transgressing boundaries and maybe obliviousness to these kinds of uh, delicate separations. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, absolutely uh and and just uh, as you say oblivious oblivious to it um <laughs> let's share the same pillow and she says no get your own pillow um um and so he goes out into the other room to try to find one and even though there are pillows out there he decides he doesn't like any of them and comes back and says she wants he wants he still wants to share hers um and you can imagine a, a pillow is sort of a it, it's extremely close ex- extremely intimate um, and it kind of jives with the the next contention, which is the question of uh, Dayu's scent. Mm. You know, what what is this miraculous scent? Is it a perfume? Uh, what's going on here? Yeah, she's she's in the middle of uh, telling him off because he has some kind of uh, red mark on his cheek. And she okay, yeah, oh, been... I, I almost forgot. Yeah. Well, she thinks that he's been smearing rouge on himself again. Um, and she's in the midst of telling him off for that when he kind of zones out, as it were. You know, he gets lost in thought because he's so captivated by the smell that's coming from her. And, um, you know, without a word, he grabs a hold of her sleeve and just, and and kind of sniffs it, right? Because this is, I think, where he thinks that's where the, the scent is coming from. Uh-huh. Yeah, he, it's described here as uh, Yoshang. Uh, what does Hawks translate that as? Does he have a, a subtle fragrance? A subtle fragrance, yeah. Um, so there's actually a lot more going on here. So we've seen uh, Yoshang before in Chapter 5. And so actually from Chapter 5, there's basically the moment when... Uh, uh, Bao Yu emerges from he'd been in, in the, the the Department of Ill Fates 
and, and he emerges back into this um in, into the the outdoor fantasy land and at this moment there's this wonderful yoshang and it's actually coming from and, and he asks the the fairy disenchantment about it and and she says well what you're smelling it's unlike anything on earth and this is a special perfume and it's the uh, uh chunfang sui the the essence of all flowers mm-hmm. I think Cox renders it in Latin or in French or something. He, he I does, forget. yeah. I think that's the one that he calls Belle Soufane. So, like, beauty fades. Mm-hmm. Um, but something like, uh, yeah, in, in Chinese, it's more like this, like, this, like, infinite flower mm. uh, perfume, right? And so, clearly, what he smells, this is definitely, a, like, a, a, a direct reference back to Chapter 5. And so, he is um, sort of basically here in a sense you know perceiving uh Dayu's sort of um angelic or um fantastical like aroma i think that's right um it is it, harking back to her kind of dual position as as a, a real person that exists within the world and yet somehow the embodiment of this like uh celestial spiritual crimson pearl flower but then also as you say this this is smell as as one aspect of sexual awakening right you know Mm -hmm. and actually to go back to last chapter in the the garden of spices uh poem the uh hangzhir qingfen there's also that whole that whole um poem was talking about the wonderful aromas in this one part of the garden and actually what hawks has as um the dreaming poet all day long may bide the the actual term there is uh the same yo and yo meng and and so it's a kind of a similar it seems to be again a reference back to this fantasy land this like distant uh reality of, of pleasure and desire so in in the in the end uh they can't really work out where the scent is fr- coming from it seems like perhaps mm-hmm. dayu herself can't smell it it's only something that Yu can smell mm-hmm. and he says no it's definitely not coming from any other source you know it's not coming from in the in the chinese it's quite sort of a neat little parallel so uh so it's not the mm-hmm. fragrance of biscuits of uh, kind of perfumed bowls like mothballs something like that or perfumed sachets you know it's it's a uh, mm-hmm. it's from some other source um and she denies wearing any perfume of her own <laughs> and then uh, he actually begins tickling her right and because Dayu is just incredibly ticklish she's soon kind of in shrieking fits of laughter I get the impression he doesn't actually tickle her. He just like pretends to, and, and the the very thought of being tickled makes her freak out. Set her off. Yeah, uh, which is really uh, kind of funny. Uh, and so <laughs> they they then get into this discussion where she says, "Well, if I have this unusual fragrance, a qi xiang, then you must have a, a warm fragrance, a nuan nuan xiang." And uh-huh. he says, "Well." Why? What, what do you mean? Why would that be the case? And Dayu says, you have your jade, and 
someone else I won't mention has a matching gold locket, uh, and she's referring, of course, to mm-hmm. to um, uh, Bao Chai. You know, the 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 mm-hmm. third the third part of the love triangle, Bao Yu's other love interest, uh, and also his other cousin, who has this yeah this golden locket, as we've seen in in previous chapters, that seems to be a kind of parallel matching pair to his um his jade locket. Um, so she says, well, if if I have this kind of strange cold fragrance then you must have a, a warm fragrance to match in the same way because we are also a, a kind of matching pair of our own or or if if uh bao chai has a a cold fragrance because she has the cold fragrance cold fragrance pills that we learned about in chapter seven that was made by the Taoist, and, and it, was, it was extremely elaborate pills and they they, they had to be you know the various ingredients had to be um, procured at the right moment cosmologically. Ah, I see, I see. Yes. Um, and so uh, Bao Chai has a cold fragrance. And so, of course, he should have a warm fragrance because, you know, they're such a perfect pair. Mm. And so her her jealousy, resentment, and insecurity about their Bao Yu and Bao Chai's possible um, matching is, again, reemerging. Ah, here. I see. That's what she's getting uh, at here. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a there's a lot going on in this scene, you know. Initially she is annoyed with him for disturbing her. He's kind of relentless in wanting to see her. Then they're kind of fun and playful together. Suddenly she takes a kind of jealous turn, you know. It's mm-hmm. uh and on and on it goes. Um it's a bit of a roller coaster yeah. ride. Um and he's still trying to get her not to fall asleep. Yeah. Um and at this point we could probably talk about the the tale he tells. This is kind of a, a kind of a fun uh, part of the chapter. I, I enjoyed this. Yeah. So, so after that chat, they um, they yeah sit down to to have a talk, and he begins asking her all of these questions, um, as you say, to try to keep her from falling asleep. Um, because unlike Bao Yu, she didn't grow up in the uh, in her early years anyway. She didn't grow up in the in the jar mansion um her mother mm-hmm. was a was one of the jazz jamian but she she moved to live with her husband when she married um down in the the southern city of uh yangzhou and it was only mm-hmm. after her mother died that she she moved back north um and so she, he he's asking her about you know what was the journey like you know what what stuff is there to do and see and and none of that seems to be working and so he begins to make up a story for her and so it's it's very clearly i think from the beginning maybe it's similar to the the dream in chapter five where he's taking the symbols of her of her name and kind of repurposing them to uh to describe uh, the landscape, right? And so there's uh, a Mount Yudai, uh, and the side of which there's a, a cavern called uh, the Cave yeah. of Lin. Yeah, he has this great ability to make stuff up on the fly. Um, and, and we saw this, mm-hmm. actually, I think the first time they met, he uh, says, according to um, this book, some obviously made up book, but with a plausible enough sounding name, you know, people in this place use um, a particular dark kind of thing to to color their eyes, um, to kind of use as eye makeup. And um, you know, because you have this 
same character die in your name um i'm gonna give you the the nickname you know frowner pian pian um uh, and this is a similar kind of thing you know he's he's just making up stuff off the cuff um rather a good story i think <laughs> yeah yeah should we should we retell the story yeah, do you want to um so as you said um <laughs> he says near the city of yangzhou there is a mountain called mount yudai in the side of which is a cavern called the cave of lian and she says, that's false for a start. I've never heard of a mountain of that name. And he replies, there are a great many mountains in this world. You could hardly be expected to know all of them. Leave your criticisms until I have finished my story. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> She kind of knows straight away um, that it's, um, that it's ah. obviously uh, rubbish. But, you know, yeah. So in the cave lives a tribe of mice. And... Um, they are short on food stuffs and they have a a um a kind of celebration coming up um and so mm -hmm. they decide to send out mice here and there and everywhere to gather different sorts of food stuffs uh, and bring them back there is a a nearby monastery that has lots of different kinds of dried foods that they can gather so they're all going to go down there grab them and bring them back mm -hmm. um and they send one mouse off to get red dates and another one off to get chestnuts and a third off to get peanuts and a fourth one off to get caltrops um, and then they need to pick one to go and get sweet potatoes right um, uh, and at this moment uh, a tiny the smallest mouse of all pipes up uh, that he will go look for he'll go steal mm. sweet potatoes Got the hero of the story <laughs> indeed um and everyone is initially dismissive of this idea because this mouse is so tiny and how will how will how will he do that and his idea is that he will disguise himself as a sweet potato and roll down into the pile of sweet potatoes and then once there grab them and uh, grab some and take them back um <laughs> and they say okay well why don't you show us how you're going to transform yourself into a sweet potato uh, and so he does. Uh, he gave his body a couple of shakes. Hey, presto. And at once, he turned into the most exquisitely beautiful young lady. Uh, <laughs> the other mice all laughed. <laughs> no, no, no. You've made a mistake. That's not a sweet potato. That's a young lady you've turned into. The little mouse resumed his own shape and smiled at them pityingly. It is you who are mistaken. You have seen too little of the world to understand. The vegetable tuber is not the only kind of sweet potato. The daughter of our respected salt commissioner, Lin, is also a sweet potato. She is the sweetest sweet potato of them all. Referring, of course, the daughter of salt commissioner, Lin, is, is Lin Dai um, here. Um, so he's <laughs> he's uh, just making up a kind of nonsense story to, to kind of mock and poke fun at her. Uh-huh. There's this difficulty in translation, right? Because in the Chinese, the, the word for sweet potato is uh, xiang yu. Mm -hmm. And in the Chinese, the mouse puns on uh, xiang yu, sweet potato, and xiang yu, fragrant jade, mm -hmm. which here is, of course, a way of referring to the uh, Dayu. Because um, obviously she has the word jade in her name, and they were just talking about how she has this, you know, 
unusual fragrance. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so he's not literally yeah. saying that she is a sweet potato, I suppose. Um, but but yeah, it's a very difficult thing to mm-hmm. translate because trying to explain all of that and maintain the integrity of the story is 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 hard. Um, uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I I don't know. I I I'm not sure what the significance of the transformation is and 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 all of that. Um, it, so it's a nice story, though. It, it's it's sweet. He's he's kind of gently mocking her, but in a kind of you know, in a sort of slightly tender and loving way, you know. And I believe it's it's at this moment when uh, the third point on the triangle yeah. emerges. And so this is kind of a reversal of what happened in chapter eight, eight where uh, it's Dayu who emerges uh, late upon the scene at Bao Chai's place, right? So this time it's Bao Chai emerging you know, in Daiyu's room. Yeah, so in chapter 8, I think it's shortly after uh, Bao Yu and Bao Chai have just been examining each other's locket, each other's necklace, um, that uh, Daiyu enters. And here, um, uh, yeah, they've just, again, she's sort of interrupted um, this moment of, I don't know, it's a kind of sweet, slightly tender moment. Um but perhaps carrying some greater significance. Mm-hmm. Although the the mood kind of sustains uh, in a way, because they they kind of turn from uh, teasing Daiyu to teasing Bao Yu. Yeah, they decide to gang up on him, and they kind of make fun of him for last chapter, uh, failing to remember the the banana illusion he, when he was writing the poem. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He fills his head with all of this kind of nonsense about mice stealing sweet potatoes but he can't remember like simple literary illusions when writing poetry mm-hmm. which is sort of a, a a significant shortcoming given how much this tradition is elusive with an a you know where you if you, the quality of your poem uh rests at least partly on your capacity to pull forth apt and varied uh historical literary illusions right yeah and we talked a little bit about how that was the factor distinguishing some of the better poems from the uh the worst poems last chapter yeah was their ability to draw on yeah draw on historic precedent almost just draw on draw on literary illusions anyway that's pretty much the end of the chapter um Mm -hmm. we yeah we have a cliffhanger again as always um which is there's a burst of angry (laughs) shouting which comes from Uh, the next door room but we have to wait until next chapter to find out what that's all about so that'll be chapter 20 next time so let's end it there Uh, thanks everyone for listening this has been another installation of rereading the story Uh, we'd love to hear from you Uh, get in contact with us on twitter at rereading stone also on facebook at facebook.com slash rereading the stone until next time uh, have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.